Biden introduces a $6 trillion budget, a BLM co-founder resigns, and there's a woman that thinks that everyone should be attracted to her. I'm William Hall, and this is The William Hall Show. Welcome back to the show. So starting off here, you have Biden that has now proposed this $6 trillion budget. And this is something that he's going to be apparently implementing over the course of the next year, apparently. And this is obviously going to cause the debt to skyrocket like crazy. So this is in a report and from the Times, and it notes that the budget would also run deficits above $1.3 trillion throughout the next decade, and that Biden's first budget request as president calls for the federal government to spend $6 trillion in the 2022 fiscal year and for total spending to rise to $8.2 trillion by 2031. Now, this is going to be packing in all the rest of the progressive policies that we've seen him try to implement over the, uh, or at least talk about already. But make no mistake, this is extremely radical as far as we're looking at the spending of this. But there's another statement that goes on in that, uh, in the memo here that says, healthcare is a right, not a privilege. The document reads, it says families need the financial security and peace of mind that comes with quality, affordable health coverage. So you can see where this is going. This is kind of uh, very similar looking to the Obamacare and all that kind of stuff right now, leading and kind of paving the way for socialized medicine. And what you're seeing here is a an extreme amount of spending. It's going to have to get paid somehow, though. That's the thing, is that it looks all positive because, once again, Democrats love using the government to solve all of the problems of the world, even though that never works. So taxes, be looking at those because those are going to be going up. He's already talked about those going up and it's going to hit you and me. It's going to hit the middle class. It's going to hit everybody with these kinds of taxes. So the when you add all this together, you see that it's a lot more money than what we're even seeing here with just the $6 million, or the $6 trillion. Because he's saying the $6 trillion budget, but we need to take into consideration the $2 trillion recovery bill that, he, that was passed very recently or the $2 trillion infrastructure bill and the $2 trillion America's family plan as well. All of these spending bills packed into one equals out to over $12 trillion of spending in six months. So this isn't going to stop right now. I can assure you that by the time we get to next year, the spending is going to be extremely high. And I'll definitely, definitely be keeping you updated on exactly what is in these as time goes on. But it's just one of these situations where Things are continuously getting more radical as they are starting to add a ton of more money into this and expecting people to just think for some reason that it's free somehow, but there's no such thing as a free lunch. Somebody's going to be having to pay for this type of stuff, and you're going to start seeing this on your taxes very, very soon if this starts to go through, especially when this is going through the Senate, which is basically controlled by the Democrats at this point. So... Today, obviously, is Memorial Day, and it's one of those things where over the weekend, you had Kamala Harris and Joe Biden that both seem to be fairly silent on what was actually going on this weekend. So here's a picture of Kamala Harris's tweet where she is saying, enjoy the long weekend. Now, you can probably wonder, what is she talking about? And notice also, by the way, that picture of her with that stupid smile on her face, and you have to wonder... Is she doing this on purpose? Is she really that dumb? 
I, I mean, there's plenty of other long weekends we've had recently. I, I don't understand why they're waiting for this one to make this statement with this ridiculous photo of her. But she actually had to do damage control later because obviously this was extremely disrespectful for what actually is taking place this weekend with Memorial Day. But she, uh, her other tweet actually said, Throughout our history, our men and women have risked everything to defend our freedoms and our country. As we prepare to honor them on Memorial Day, we remember their service and their sacrifice. Okay, so this is a damage control tweet. That's plain and simple what it is. Now, I, I think if she didn't get any of the backlash at all, she probably wouldn't have ever tweeted this out at all. But somebody, I'm sure, was like, hey, yeah, just letting you know, you need to put something out that at least makes it seem like you kind of care about veterans and, every, and Memorial Day. I can assure you that's what took place because I don't think she had any plan to do that. The thing is, is that what you're seeing from this Biden-Harris administration is that they put and give more respect to George Floyd and his family then they do our own veterans. This is a repeated action that we can see over and over again that is just weaving itself throughout the administration. I mean, they're not even trying to hide it at this point. It's more obvious than ever that they're clearly trying to showcase this type of bias. And the thing is, is that Biden has mocked the military. I mean, he's called them a dull bunch and plenty of other names in the past as well. You, I can assure you that what we miss the most at this point is President Trump, a person that actually cared about the military, actually spent the time to speak about them and to honor them and to actually uh, meet with the families. You don't see any of that happening from Biden. What you do see Biden doing is going around, walking around, eating ice cream, because that's what's apparently most important to the mainstream media, not the crazy radical policies that he's pushing, not what's happening this weekend or anything else like that, or this stupid January 6th commission. What they're more interested in than anything else is what kind of ice cream Biden is eating. Mr. President, what did you order? Chocolate chocolate chip. All right, so absolutely ridiculous there, but there's this actual report coming from the White House, and it says Biden ordered chocolate, chocolate chip, and butter pecan ice cream, and also let the ice cream shop employees keep the change. Oh, goodness. I mean, seriously, they're treating this as if it's the most important thing to be talking about at any given time. Now, I remember when every single time Trump went to golf or something like that, that they were saying, I can't believe he's doing taking this time to go golfing while the economy is doing this, that and the other. They did this all the time. But when Biden's out doing nefarious things, just whatever, all of a sudden the media just goes straight into praise mode. They don't care about anything else. He goes to test drive uh, an electric Ford F-150, as I've showed you on the show as well, and they do nothing about it. It's it's just Biden doing what he's doing and enjoying. He's so cool. Look at what he's doing, eating the ice cream. Meanwhile, posting pictures of it on his Twitter and everything. Nobody bats an eye. Media not only just doesn't bat an eye, but they literally kind of suck up to it. That's all they want to talk about is the flavor of ice cream. Make no mistake, this administration is, can pretty much get away with anything. He can do whatever he wants, say whatever he wants, go on any trips and whatever it, whatever it may be. And the media is in full damage control, full covering mode for him at every step of the way. They could care less what he's actually doing policy-wise. It's all about the ice cream. I mean, even Jen Psaki on her Twitter account was posting about the ice cream. Everybody's talking about ice cream all of a sudden. This is stuff that just never happened under Trump because if he did anything other than stay in the Oval Office... It was considered as the worst thing on planet Earth. They had the media attacking him for three days over just going to golf. 
And that's what you're seeing with this Biden administration. So make no mistake, if you're not hearing about a lot of the crazy radical policies that he's pushing forward through in the news and in the media, it's for a very good reason. It's because they don't want you to know about it. They're only going to talk about how cool Biden is. That's all it is. He's a good distracting figure. And that's exactly how they're utilizing him here. So BLM co-founder uh, Patrice Colors, I've reported on her before. She's the person that was the co-founder of BLM, the self-avowed trained Marxist, the one also that purchased three and a half, I believe, million dollars worth of homes, all of just kind of scattered around the United States. So now she's resigning from BLM, from being a co-founder. So this was announced on Thursday that she's stepping down from the organization. Now, of course, she said to everybody, and she claims that the criticism from detractors did not factor into her decision to resign, adding they were right-wing attacks that tried to discredit my character, and I don't operate off of what the right thinks about me. Well, newsflash, I saw the criticism. It wasn't just people on the right. It was actually a lot of BLM-supporting people that were like, hey, this is a pretty bad look for the person that's claiming to care about black lives, the, the person that is more than willing to take the money from this organization and go spend it lavishly on who knows what, not only just houses, but I'm sure plenty of other expensive things as well. You know, and the thing is that now she's got her money, she's out. That's what this is about. She got paid the amount of money she wanted to get paid. Who knows how much she has saved up? Remember, BLM last year, I believe they uh, released a report saying that they raised, I think, $90 million in donations. $90 million, where did that money go? Show me a million that was invested into a community. Show me a million that was given to any of the families. Because the last time I checked, the families were getting paid from the cities, lawsuits from the cities, and settlements from that. They weren't having anything to do with BLM. Meanwhile, you have Breonna Taylor's mother, I even believe uh, Tamir Rice's mother, also coming out and attacking BLM and saying these people are frauds. They don't support any of the stuff that we actually support whatsoever. Once again, you spend three and a half million dollars on homes and then you expect somehow for people to applaud you for what you're doing or to ignore that it happened. It sounds like she was embezzling money and is just getting out because she got the amount of money she got paid and doesn't want anything to do with BLM anymore. And you know what? The media is going to let her. They're going to let her walk. Had this been anyone else, they would be getting attacked day in and day out. You can guarantee it because... The media is in full damage control for BLM. They don't want people to pay attention to what's going on. They don't want you to see what's happening when this lady is literally profiting off of the backs of this social justice movement. And they're more than willing to just say, you know what? All right. Hands, our hands are clean. Let's move on to the next thing. So there's actually this guy um, and he founded a BLM chapter in St. Paul and he actually resigned Shortly after learning the ugly truth about the organization, here's a bit of his testimony about that. I was born in Minneapolis in 1985. We called the Northside home at that time, 18th and Queen. When I was two years old, my father was shot and killed. My mother wasn't able to take care of me, so I was raised by my grandparents. They told me that if I was going to change my life for the better, education was the answer. So I worked hard in school. I got into Hamlin University and earned a college degree, first in my family. Then I went on to earn a master's in education from St. Mary's University of Minnesota. I am living proof that no matter your start in life, quality education is a pathway to success. I want the same success for our children in our communities. That's why in 2015, I was the founder of Black Lives Matter in St. Paul. 
I believe the organization stood for exactly what the name implies. Black lives do matter. However, after a year on the inside, I learned they had little concern for rebuilding black families. And they cared even less about improving the quality of education for students in Minneapolis. That was made clear when they publicly denounced charter schools alongside the teachers union. I was an insider in Black Lives Matter, and I learned the ugly truth. The moratorium on charter schools does not support rebuilding the black family, but it does create barriers to a better education for black children. I resigned from Black Lives Matter after a year and a half, but I didn't quit working to improve black lives and access to a great education. Today, I serve as the president and executive director of Minnesota Parent Union. We're dedicated to helping parents move their children from failing schools to successful schools. It's hard work, and we're up against forces that don't want us to succeed. But success is possible. Just look at me and the hundreds of children and families we've helped to pursue a great education, break the chains of poverty, and lead a life of success. I love everything about what this guy is saying here. I really do. The thing is, is that the statistics tell us that black children without a strong father figure in the home tend to be much more likely to be criminals. I mean, there's like an overwhelming amount of criminals and people that are in jail that are black that are single or, or had only a mother in the household, just single parents. That's not a good idea when you're looking at the actual statistics there. But you have BLM saying, you know what, let's get rid of the father figures. I mean, literally, they were they put statements on their site saying that they were against the nuclear family. They don't want that to exist. Then they start pulling pushing the LGBTQ stuff. And then they wonder what went wrong. When you have an organization that's basically promoting homosexuality and the absence of fathers and saying that's the way it should be, single mothers, you you go, do your thing, based off of support from the government programs that encourage that behavior, and we wonder what happened. Well, that's exactly what took place. You wind up with a community that is dealing with a lot of broken homes and people that wind up being criminals as a result of that. The thing is, though, is that this guy is clearly a success story. A success story, mind you, that would be entirely suppressed by Democrats today if they had their chance. Because they don't want you to know that a black man can be successful. We've talked about CRT or critical race theory on this show plenty of times before, and I've said it then and I'll say it again now, that CRT cannot exist with the successful black men. It can't. Because they're literally telling you that if you are black, you are automatically oppressed and cannot change those circumstances. That it is impossible for all black people to just be successful. They're telling you stay where you're at. Remember, if Democrats are for the poor, it's in their best interest to keep you poor. If, if Republicans are for the rich, then it's in their best interest to keep you rich or to make you rich, right? It, doesn't that make sense? But that's the way that they like to toe this line here. The thing is, is that Charter schools that he's talking about here where he's saying, I was for these charter schools. We need them in our communities, right? Where, where parents can apply to send their kids there. Because, fun fact, these charter schools do a lot better than any other public schools typically do as far as the academic level of the students there. Because the parents actually have to do something to get them in there. They actually have to kind of want their child to have a better education to a certain degree, or at least access to a better education. And without that, they stay in the public schools. There's actually an interesting school story about this that Thomas Sowell talks about, where 
there was this charter school that was in, uh, I believe, Harlem, New York, about uh, maybe 50, 60 years ago. And it was actually an all-black school, an all-black charter school. And a lot of the richer black parents sent their kids there to get an education. And they churned out, like, if there was any successful black people that were living at that time, they all came from that particular high school. An all-black high school. Who, who would think that, right? But the thing is that what wound up killing that school was that they changed the laws in that area where they said, okay, this district now must adhere and accept students only that are in those zones. In other words, everybody must be a public school. There can't be these charter schools that kind of accept whatever kids randomly choose to decide to apply there and the parents that want a better education for those students. We're going to get rid of that. And they have to accept the students only zone in their area as well as the rest of the schools. So what do you think happened to that school? School went from being in a very high prestige school with a ton of educated students to being something that was a failing ghetto school all of a sudden because they couldn't accept those students that were maybe from the richer black neighborhoods. They had to accept the ones that were in local in the area, which is nothing but the hood. And as a result, that school turned itself into a horrible crime ridden school. Charter schools are important. School choice is important. BLM doesn't support any of that because BLM toes the line right there with Democrats. So when people like this guy see that and say, well, I'm a success story, people should be looking at me. Well, keep in mind, <laughs> the left doesn't like successful black people because they are the exception to what they have tried to push on everyone for years. They hate Thomas Sowell. They hate uh, Clarence Thomas. They hate Ben Carson. And they would hate this guy, too, because they don't want to see or show any black people actually defying the odds that they have set up. They're telling you that you must be a failure if you're black. You cannot change your circumstances because the system is systemically racist. If these black people start to be successful, then that would prove that they're wrong. And they don't want that to be the case. They don't. And that's the issue with the entire narrative of that. So it's good to see somebody actually define the odds and say, you know what, I'm done with this BLM thing. It's a lie. The ugly truth is BLM does not care about black lives at all. So just a quick reminder that I do have a Patreon page where you can donate directly to the show. But also, please remember to subscribe to my Rumble channel. It's very similar to YouTube. YouTube has basically suspended me for a week for uploading videos, talking about the facts of what happened with the coronavirus with kids and students in schools. So just make sure you subscribe to the Rumble channel as well. Uh, that's where I upload all of my videos also until I'm back on YouTube. But either way, you can always find it there. They are an actual free speech platform and they care about protecting free speech. So definitely check the channel out there. You can find me at William5849 or just by searching William Hall as well. Lori Lightfoot, or as a lot of people like to refer to her as being Beetlejuice, uh, she actually was laying out some rules about the interview process and the who she wanted to be interviewed by essentially. So she's actually being sued now by judicial watch for denying reporter interviews for people that are white. So she already announced this as it is by saying that she was going to only allow black and brown reporters to interview her about her two year anniversary in office. Now what she's doing here, she's proudly saying that she is racially discriminating against other reporters that are white. That's what she's doing. She thinks it's perfectly fine has no problem with that whatsoever. She said in a statement, as a woman of color and a lesbian, it's important to me that diversity is put front and center. So first of all, what I hate about this stuff, once again, is that they always have to start their sentences off by telling you their, their list of things that makes them not be able to be argued against. 
But when they say I'm a woman of color and a lesbian means these are my accolades. These are these things that are that make me me so much to the point that you cannot tell me I'm wrong. These are my victimhood stats, basically, is what she's doing. The woman, the fact that she's black and a lesbian, all adds into this equation of you saying anything against me makes you racist, makes you sexist, makes you homophobic. That's what they oftentimes like to do. But the fact is, is that when she's talking about this diversity, she says it's important for me to put diversity front and center. You know, what I thought when you look at the definition of diversity is that diversity involves including people. Does it not? Diversity means including others that may not be of the same opinion of you, may not be the, of the same uh, race as you or sex as you, that you're bringing all of these people together because you're being inclusive. I mean, that's what they talk about all the time, right? Is inclusivity. It's one of the big things that you've seen left-wing people push for years. Now... This new definition of diversity, this use of diversity is not practicing inclusion, it's, it's practicing exclusion. It's saying, you can't, these certain people are allowed to do this. How is that diversity? I mean, you'll have all the colors of the rainbow except white people and you think that that's diversity? That's where I'm kind of drawing the line here. It's just completely racist. You can't just say that it's diversity. Using the word doesn't make it mean anything if your use and action of it is simply discrimination. That's what makes it so bad. Because you're literally just misrepresenting what this is. Instead of saying, hey, look, I would prefer that there be a black reporter that interviews me or I would like a black reporter as well to interview me. No, no whites allowed. And somehow, once again, the media is, you know, just kind of goes along with this, covers for her, perfectly fine with her saying this statement and not dragging her entire career through the mud. Meanwhile, you know, if any Republican said this, they would be completely ostracized and completely thrown out of office in a, in a heartbeat. And keep in mind, too, that she's also married, since she's saying she's a lesbian, she's married to a white woman. So I wonder how she feels about that. Is she okay with that? I, I don't know. This is kind of a weird situation when you look at these people. Last year, there were reports about the Wuhan laboratory in China and the origins of the coronavirus. This was something that when people were talking about this in the midst of last year, people were getting banned left and right for making these claims. Now, there seems to be more people that are becoming aware that these claims are probably actually very valid. So now you have House Republicans that are launching an investigation into the taxpayer money that was directed to the Wuhan lab through the NIH grant. So in 2014, the NIH uh, awarded a grant to the U.S.-based EcoHealth Alliance to study the risk of the future emergence of coronaviruses from bats. In 2019, the project was renewed for another five years, but it was canceled in April 2020, if you're paying attention to the timeline here. Three months after the first case of the coronavirus was confirmed in the uh, in the U.S., EcoHealth ultimately received $3.7 million over six years from the NIH and distributed nearly 600000 of that total to China's Wuhan Institute of Virology. So this was approved by the NIH as well. Now, this is a thing that they call gain-of-function research, where scientists modify a virus to make, to make it more infectious amongst humans, then study how to actually combat it. The issue is, is of course, that went wrong. Something obviously went wrong there. Now, in a Senate hearing, Fauci told Senator John Kennedy that he can't quite guarantee that American taxpayer money 
didn't go to gain-of-function research at the Wuhan lab, which basically means that the money went there. That's what he means. He can confirm that it went there because you have to be able to. If you can't, without a doubt, say it didn't go there, then you're basically saying that it did go there. And we have proof that it actually did go there. We had this report last year. It's just now Fauci's kind of changed his tune about it a little bit, as he's been doing for the past year as well. Now, once again, people have been banned off of Twitter for this. People have been banned off of YouTube for this. What is the, What are we changing this to now? The thing is that information changes over time. And you have these reports coming up that we knew about. Most people were aware of the Wuhan laboratory for a long time. But now we're seeing more reports about what's actually taking place. So the Daily Telegraph obtained a dossier. And it says, China deliberately suppressed or destroyed evidence of the coronavirus outbreak in an assault on international transparency. that caused tens of thousands of lives, according to a dossier prepared uh, by the Western governments of the COVID-19 contagion. It goes on to say... The Chinese government covered up news of the virus by silencing or disappearing doctors who spoke out. If you remember, there was several doctors that were trying to warn people about what was going on. And then all of a sudden, they were gone out of the news, apparently put into jails. Then they got coronavirus and died. How how was this not looked into? I mean, I was asking these questions last year. But it goes on to say, destroying evidence in in of it in the laboratories and refusing to provide live samples to international scientists who were working on a vaccine. So in other words, they didn't even help to solve the issue because that's what happens when you live in a communist country. So at least one of the estimated 50 virus samples Dr. Xi had in her laboratory is a 96% genetic match to COVID-19. So unless they're saying it was some random fluke, the fact of the matter is, is that something, the samples that they got from that laboratory literally match what COVID-19 is. And somehow we're just ignoring this took place. I mean, Biden recently stopped the research into what the origins of this were. And I've said this on Parler before too, but I don't care about a January 6th, uh, January 6th commission. That's not what we need to be dealing with here. What we need to be trying to figure out is having a coronavirus commission, something to figure out and investigate what took place here. Because had China notified the world and was transparent like any other country pretty much would have been except for China because they don't care about anybody but themselves. Had they been transparent, we would have been so much more prepared for what was going on. But it's their covering up of information that caused everything to happen too late in the process. That's that's the biggest issue here is that something could have been done about this. Now, This should remind every American also, by the way, that we need to be asking questions all the time. It doesn't, you're not a bad person because you're a skeptic. You're not a bad person because you're asking questions. The thing is that this is a matter of life and death when we look at these issues here. And you have Democrats that will tell you, no, don't pay attention to that. Look, whatever the government tells you, you just do it. Don't question it. Don't ask about it. Just do what they tell you because the government are your parents. They're going to take care of you. And we're saying the government can't be trusted. They're not parents. It's made up of flawed people. Why are we just going along with everything that they say? I mean, that's ultimately what messed China up too. That's what got these doctors jailed is that they believed in the government. The government jailed these people. They kept them from saying what they wanted to say. They suppressed them. They banned them. Isn't that exactly kind of what social media is doing to us right now? And we're wondering why we should why we should be asking these questions, we have to be asking questions all the time 
Because if we don't, we'll never have the actual true answers to what's going on. And information that you think might be true today could change tomorrow. And then who really looks stupid? Because now Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, as I mentioned, have banned people for literally saying what is provable. <laughs> because it they just said it earlier than they want it to acknowledge it as being. Now Dr. Fauci flips on it. Who knows if he'll flip again. But as more people become aware of this type of stuff, are they, is Twitter going to reinstate those bans? I doubt it. I doubt they're going to do that. Mike Pompeo, by the way, said the virology lab is still up and running. It's still probably conducting the same kinds of research it was conducting that may have well led to this virus escaping from that laboratory. Because no effort's been done to do anything about it. And everybody is scared of the Chinese. And especially when you look at Beijing Biden, he's not going to do anything about it either, by the way. He's just going to sit on it. Any investigation Trump was planning on doing into the virology lab, Biden's not going to deal with it. So you can kiss that opportunity goodbye. But at least somebody's trying to get an investigation going into what's taking place here because it kind of needs to be done. It does. We don't want this happening again. I mean, we, we can talk about whatever you want it to happen, but it's a communist government that caused this virus to be significantly worse than it should have been. Funded by scientists doing whatever they wanted to do because science ultimately doesn't stop. They always are trying to push the boundaries. They do a lot of disgusting things that many people aren't even aware of for the sake of research. And then when we get hit by this virus, trust the government and everything they wanted you to do. Well, the government was kind of responsible for a lot of this. And now they're having to fix their own problem. We don't want more government. We want less of it. That's the answer to all of this. But there's this woman that's on TikTok basically telling everybody that they must be attracted to her no matter what. Hey, bestie. <laughs> You're wrong. I think it's time for another adult pre-K lesson. What do you think? All right, turn your listening ears on. Catch a bubble in your mouth. Good job. Okay, here's the thing. Having a preference is something like, I'm looking for a partner who likes kayaking or wakes up early in the morning or loves pizza. <laughs> But when your preferences exclude an entire group of marginalized people, that's problematic. Okay, that's not nice. That's not a preference. If you lump all fat people in one group together as though they are not very different individuals, that's fat phobic. Just like lumping all black people in one group and saying, I don't like black people is racist. And lumping all disabled people in one group and saying, I don't think people in wheelchairs are hot is ableist. Do you understand what I'm saying? <laughs> All right, so apparently this lady's a teacher, which I really feel bad for those students, <laughs> if that's the case. I mean, you can't get more condescending than that. Now, if you're listening to this on the audio version, what you have is this lady on TikTok talking and saying those things, but she's replying to a another message, I believe, or a comment that somebody left on one of her posts, basically saying that it's everyone's right to be attracted to who they want to be attracted to. If they don't like fat people, uh, then they don't like fat people. They don't like skinny people. They don't like skinny people. And they and this lady is obviously of, of a bigger size. And she's making these statements at this person by saying what she said, which is incredibly incorrect. And this is really what happens when you have a generation of people that are told they're amazing and wonderful and awesome just for doing nothing, just for existing. This is what happens when you give a, uh, the the trophies of participation to kids and making them think that everything that they do is good. These kids and these grow up to be adults that are not ready for the world of rejection that happens all the time it's called the real world that we all live in they're not ready for that at all and imagine comparing being overweight to being black i mean 
I'm surprised people aren't calling her flat out racist for making that equivalency. But, you know, once again, whatever victim points you can add to the case, uh, they're going to do it if they can get away with it. And this couldn't be a more entitled person as well to think so selfishly of themselves at the same time. The fact is that I can assure you that she can't get a date because of her attitude, because of who she is. It doesn't matter how attractive you are on the outside. If you're a terrible person, you're going to have a hard time finding anybody that's going to want to put up with you. The thing is, is that nobody is morally obligated to be attracted to you. It doesn't matter what you are or what you really look like. It doesn't matter. Nobody is morally obligated to do so. And the fact is, is that she's talking about this because of her weight. But the thing is, is that you can change your weight to a certain degree. It is changeable. It may be harder for others to do it than other people. Sure. But it's something that you can change. The fact is, is that you can't change your race. You can't change your sex. You can't change your height. Those are things you don't have any control over. Yet if you ask her who she's looking for, she's probably looking for a fit guy over six feet tall, you know, the works. But all of a sudden, she wouldn't dare date anybody that was an overweight man himself. So it's okay for you to have standards, but not for these other people to. And that's the thing, is that this is a big overreach of what anybody should be thinking about or doing when you're talking about the dating scene or when you're talking about just attraction in general. It's a misrepresentation of it. Something that is a lie fed by the left by telling you that you must fit into one of these victimized groups. I mean, she literally is calling herself marginalized. I mean, that's the world we live in right now. Meanwhile, this guy is just like, hey, maybe people should just, you know, be attracted to who they're attracted to and leave it at that. And she's saying, no, you can only be attracted or not attracted to somebody based over their interest. Like, I like somebody that's into kayaking, for example, right? Isn't that okay? Well, if you ask me, I mean, isn't that kind of kayakist? Is that a new word we can make up right now? That you're, that, I mean, what about the people that are non-kayakers? I mean, that's kind of kayakist against them, isn't it? I mean, how could she possibly exclude an entire group of non-kayaking citizens that are very good people? I mean, it's not their choice that they're, you see what I'm doing there, right? It never stops. It literally never stops because it doesn't matter what the interests are. You could just say, well, they're marginalized because they're interested in music. That's this type of music. And they're marginalized because they like kayaking and you don't. It, it's always going to be something in the world, in the realm of this. And the point is, is that all you need to be concerned about is just not being a terrible person. When in reality, you're so busy trying to play the victim card in any way that you can get it. That it's just gone beyond all reason. And what you're doing is just setting up this generation of people that, once again, cannot handle any real rejection. They can't handle the real world. And then they go on TikTok and they cry about it because they weren't prepared for what rejection feels like and understanding that rejection is a normal part of life early on. They weren't set up for that because nobody wants their feelings hurt through school. And when people don't get their feelings hurt, they don't get a thick skin like most of us older people have. And as a result, they wind up being very weak, soft individuals that are thin-skinned, easily offended, and we wonder where we get these Democrats from. <laughs> so either way, just another crazy person on TikTok saying something stupid and embarrassing themselves. But with that being said, that's all I have for you today. Um, I hope you enjoyed your Memorial Day weekend as well as we take this time to remember veterans and people that lost their lives to protect our freedom because it goes way beyond just what happens in this country as well. It's also a depiction of what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross by freeing us from 
the slavery of sin. So with that being said, I thank you for watching or listening to the show, and I will see you on the next one.